Hello and welcome to another edition of Battle Plans. I'm Tony Lombardi and I'm joined by James Ogden and Dev Pantois, both of Russell Street Report. This edition of Battle Plans is brought to you by Rock Spring Financial Group. Rick Metzger and his team of professionals work with many lenders and their goal is to find the right one to fit your mortgage needs, whatever they are. If you have a mortgage need, Rock Spring Financial has a solution. Trust me, from personal experience, I know these things. Call them at 443-801-6389. That's 443-801-6389. So, fellas, the, the controversy has begun, the quarterback controversy. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. But Lamar versus Huntley in that Browns game, it looked like the same old thing that we've been seeing over the past four or five weeks from Lamar in that first quarter. And then suddenly Tyler Huntley enters the picture and things look a little bit different. Now I get that the Browns may have let their guard down a little bit and maybe they were playing a little softer because they had such a significant lead. But you know, I got to ask James, what did Huntley do differently that he was able to be more effective against the Browns than Lamar and his limited action? Yeah, Tony, I think we've, we talked last week a little bit about Lamar's limitations at the moment and, and uh, you know, in the last few weeks where he's been struggling. And I think what we saw from Huntley was just, um, was a very different, it was a very different approach. And he understood that he, certainly he understood his own limitations and certainly understood that he couldn't do it all on his own and couldn't win the game on his own. And I think what basically happened was we, what we saw was a guy get the ball out on time. Um, he did, he did exceptionally well in, on those timing routes. You know, you saw even, even Rashad Bateman's receiving line sort of gives you an indication of, of how he was doing be- better on some of those, on some of those routes. I, I think the one of the things we did see was a continuation of, uh, you know, of, of trouble with pressure. Uh, that to me was kind of, a, you know, a number of occasions that was Huntley not really identifying well enough. He also showed an ability to identify um, the different pressure packages that the Browns were throwing at him, but he also at times didn't identify the pressure packages as you would have liked and, and um, didn't account for the free blitzer at him. So we saw lots of different um, sort of issues arise, but we also saw a guy who was able to get the ball out on time, was able to use the talent he had around him and also add something with his legs. It was just, it was, it was the way I would describe it as was as a great inning of relief pitching from a fresh arm. That was what it seemed like. It was from a guy who was just coming into the game with none of the baggage of earlier in the season, none of the baggage of everything that's been going on around him. He could just go in and play. And I think it was, it was just really easy for, it was easier for him to put in a, put in a good performance. Uh, And so it'll be interesting to see what happens um, if he has to, um, to pitch for more than the one inning. Yeah, the argument is is was that beneficial to Huntley? That now you could you could say he contributed uh, to the deficit, and then he also helped them uh, climb out of the hole. So was it beneficial from a game script and a game flow standpoint that they had this big lead? The Browns had this big lead. Uh, almost, uh, we, we I think I was bracing for like a forty to ten type of game, <laughs> um, that type of thing, and then all of a sudden it's kind of you know, battled and Huntley, uh, I think took advantage of, of, yeah, I mean, Tony, maybe to some extent you could argue soft coverages, but 
Um, I don't think the Browns played it too dramatically differently than they would have. Uh, and, and I don't think it was like a straight up prevent. So I think he did also benefit from the, the circumstance, but um, by and large now in the Bears game and in the Browns game, you just see, like to James's point, you just see him making decisions faster, quicker, maybe it's easier uh, given some of the game situations, but uh, I think he's, he's really done a nice job and just taken what the defense has given him. You know, a couple other guys that stepped up in kind of like relief pitching appearances, but Averett's been out there a little bit longer because of the injuries to the secondary, but Chris Westry and Anthony Averett played well in that game. And, you know, they both had some questionable DPIs thrown at them, but at the same time, the, they, they stepped up when they had to. And the reason that Huntley was able to have that opportunity to be a hero was because the defense really stood the test in that second half and shut out Baker Mayfield and the Browns. So talk about uh, Chris Westry, his performance, along with Anthony Averitz. Yeah. So, uh, oh, sorry. Dave. Oh, go ahead, Jim. Yeah, I was just going to say, so I think what I saw from the guy, I think that the thing we need to start, uh, I think, understanding with Anthony Averitt is that he's a good corner. Like, he is a good corner. He has he's developed over the course of the season. We you know, teams have been trying those comeback routes on him that he was getting beat on um, consistently earlier in the season. And it isn't working as well. He's, he's got that fixed. He is playing, he's playing at a good level. So we do have one good corner on the team. Uh, and I, I think it's, um, it's a, it's a, a real testament to his development over the course of the season. There are definitely still areas where you'd want to see him do better, but uh, he's, he's somebody who can, who you can rely on. I don't think he's going to, you know, he's not a guy that you're going to, be able to put one-on-one with Devontae Adams this week and, and expect him to shut him out, but he's going to do a good job um, with some help. And then the, the other guy to, uh, to think about, as you, as you mentioned, Tony was, was Westry. Westry, I think had, uh, had a solid game. I think the thing we have to remember with, with this game in particular was that the Browns don't have a bunch of outstanding receivers. Uh, they have one solid receiver who's a bit hobbled in Landry, and then they have a, couple, a bunch of question marks. So uh, I do like people's Jones myself, but there's a number of other stuff. So he had a good game, but I think it was not against a great level of competition. And there were some things I saw technically from him that I thought he needs to improve going forward. He's got bags of potential because of his his athleticism and his size but there's definitely some technical things that I noticed particularly um when he was in press or in a soft press it just it you know there were some things with his hands that he needs to clean up otherwise he's going to get beat pretty badly so there's a lot of things still to work on for Westry but I'm kind of um kind of encouraged by the performance as we should be even with those sort of um caveats that I mentioned now what thought I oh okay so no, no, no. I just thought of one other item here is that those two guys played well. And then, you know, if you get Jimmy Smith back, then in a rotation, can they kind of um, substitute, rotate winks, winks liked to do that before when he's had the corner um, depth to do it. So that could help alleviate some of the pressure on Westry. Uh, just thinking through the fact that Jimmy Smith should be back. Uh, he was out obviously because his wife had a, a baby. Talking about the offense and defensive game plans, I want to focus on that for a little bit. The, the defense, let's start with them, guys. The, the Winks seemed to make some adjustments at halftime because they, whatever the Browns were doing before the break, they certainly weren't doing after uh, halftime when they came out in the third quarter. 
And Baker Mayfield, he was just like a machine, you know, matriculating the ball down the field, one, you know, timing route after the next. And it just seemed like they had it really the rhythm going, but they stopped. So let's talk about the, the adjustments that Wink made and what they did in the second half that they might be able to carry forward against a, a tougher opponent and Aaron Rodgers and the Packers. So I think one, what you've got to look at is I think it wasn't just about Wink for me. Uh, I think Baker Mayfield had a much poorer second half. The first half, he wasn't making mistakes and he was doing things that he hasn't been doing most of the season where he was, as you say, Tony, matriculating the ball down the field. And so a lot of it was, I think, Baker Mayfield's level of play dropped off a little bit. I think what they did was they did some stuff that I mentioned in battle plans where they were, they sort of allowed a little bit more um, on the ground. They were, they were willing to seed a bit more, um, bit more on the ground to the, to the, to, um, to Nick Chubb and Dearness Johnson. They had a few nice runs, um, which they certainly didn't have in the first game between these two teams. So they sort of committed a little less resource to stopping the run um, and, and decided to take away the pass a little bit more. And I think that was kind of the adjustment that, that was the main adjustment that was, that I could see was made that I think going into the game, they felt like without, um, without Bryant and without Njoku, that there was less of a threat from that receiving core. But what actually ha- what actually played out was that Landry was a bit healthier and played better than he did a couple of weeks ago. And Peoples-Jones was also healthier and played better than he did a couple of weeks ago. And so you saw them, and obviously Austin Hooper turned up too. So you saw them a slightly better receiving core or a slightly healthier receiving core working with a better quarterback in the first half and then when we got into the second half you started to see some of that some of that regress and also like I said just a little bit of a less focus a little bit of less resource stopping the run and a little bit more um looking to try and neutralize that passing game that had been so dangerous in the first half and looked like it threatened to take their game out of hand one of the things yeah, and I also oh sorry about that Tony. you keep I keep uh, missing you there you headphones trying to adjust um I also wonder if Kareem Hunt's injury affected things too. Just wanted to throw that one out there. Yeah. And game plan usage and how he could have uh, really stressed some of the run run defense concepts to James's point. Um, but as it as it was, they they hung they hung in there pretty well. The tackling I think has improved over the last few games. I think it certainly manifested itself against the Browns. So hopefully that's something that the Ravens can continue to do against this tough stretch for the remaining four games. Now. Focusing on the offense, we all know that Greg Roman is the the scapegoat in town for anything that goes wrong with the Ravens' offense. But just a general synopsis, James, of of his game plan against the Browns, and and then I want to focus on that very last offensive play. Yeah, the the game plan was uh, was you know. He, he adjusted significantly the game plan once Tyler Huntley went into the game. And what we saw was, as I said early in the, in the podcast, we saw, a, we saw the, the Ravens start hitting um, those timing routes much better. Uh, and so what we, he, he adjusted the game plan significantly for having Huntley in the game above, above Lamar. And it just was a different, it was a different, different type of attack the way they, the way they attacked them in the second half. I felt like um, what we saw was uh, a decent, a kind of a decent performance from the offensive line as well. We saw an offensive line that was able to 
on the whole, <laughs> neutralize Clowney and Garrett better than I thought they would. They certainly didn't neutralize them. And Clowney came up with a couple of big plays um, that were, were were sort of momentum changers. But I actually thought it was going to be more of a disaster than it was. Uh, so I felt like they did a decent job with that. But I also felt like they could have... Um, done a little bit more as the game drew on to um, protect uh, Tyler Huntley a bit more with with more than just the five. Uh, A couple of times they left him without any help um, and got him to get the ball out quickly, which he was doing on the whole, but it's also asking a lot of a rookie quarterback, uh, a second year quarterback, second start to to have to do that consistently over the course of a game. Now that Deb, that last play where they hit on the slant, the hot read, which was Rashad Bateman. And he was tackled after a two-yard game. They needed six. When you look at the all 22 of that play, there's not a receiver that even has his head turned around at that snap to give Huntley another option other than Bateman. I know he was criticized for going to Bateman, but I think the play design left him with little option. Yeah, that's an interesting. That's a really interesting observation, and you're right uh, because it was like a bang bang play, um, de- you know, geared to defeat the blitz. So I don't know if that came down to some sort of miscommunication in the huddle beforehand or or not. Um, yeah, I think it's a, it's kind of like a West Coast principle that play. You, kept, you you throw the ball, you throw the ball hot, and you hope your receiver is able to break a tackle or at least have the, the window to gain the yards after the catch. Now we got to give a little credit to, to Ward on the Brown side because he really played that perfectly. Um, but then again, you could also argue, did he really, um, was he challenged to play it any differently? Right. I mean, a smart cornerback like that, I think of a guy like Marcus Peters for the Ravens, like he's absolutely going to jump that route because he knows he can, he can get away with it. It all depends on what he's challenged by to cover uh, behind him or what what the safety has to deal with behind him. So there wasn't really, I mean, I didn't study it. Maybe James has a better perspective, just reading the route combo on that particular play. Could they have had something a little bit better that would have made it easier to hit something a little bit, you know, in the second layer, but but behind the corner if he jumps it. So that's my perspective on it. But yeah, it seemed like an all or nothing proposition with that one route. Yeah, I think Dev. Uh, I think Huntley has come out since and said that um, Bateman was his was the hot route on that play, um, and there, there there wasn't any other option. So it was definitely something around the the play design there uh, that that was that was where he had to go with the ball, uh, and there wasn't any other option in the same way that you just you just broken down, Dev. You know, the, another thing that was pretty noticeable in the game, and James, I know you mentioned that they changed the gl- game plan once Huntley entered the game, but it seemed like these these fade routes, these little nine routes down the, the sideline, the timing patterns to Bateman, that's something that we haven't seen. And it was almost as if Huntley trusted his, his receiver to make a play on the ball, and he did twice. Why don't we think we're seeing that with Lamar? I think that's just something that's um, – you, you, what, what, what I think you've got to understand is that Lamar hasn't really had that type of receiver. Uh, in his time here in Baltimore, and it does appear that it takes a little while for him to um, to trust a receiver to, to to make those type of plays. 
he has that relationship with Mark Andrews. I think he will end up getting that relationship with, with Bateman as well, who will be able to make those type of plays consistently. So I think it's something that will come. It's interesting that Huntley went straight in the game and was able to was able to get that those completions to to Bateman pretty quick. I'm not sure what the kind of practice time was like, but because Bateman didn't really practice too much over the course of the the early part of the season or in training camp, but sometimes that is the case where you see a a backup quarterback come in and is able to. Um, to have a better connection with those uh, with those um, number maybe number twos and threes because they've been able to to throw like they've been able to throw with those guys earlier on in camp and maybe Huntley did get some time with Bateman that maybe Lamar didn't get earlier on um, in training camp. There's there's also the the potential that. Uh, Bateman was sort of a two and three, you know, because we did have Watkins and, and Hollywood Brown, and those were the those were the kind of one and two going into the season. So it might be just that Huntley has a better rapport with with um, with Bateman because of the practice snaps that they've that they've had between each other. And I think I think the the big catch that Bateman made down the sideline in the uh, open practice at MNT Bank Stadium earlier in the year, I think that was from Huntley on a similar type. Well. I, I don't know. I don't remember if it was a similar type, but it was pretty much, you know, it was a deep throw. Uh, so it does feel like they maybe did have a rapport from earlier on. And that's something that will come with Lamar. Now the Ravens still find themselves in first place guys, <laughs> amazingly enough, and they control their own destiny. I know it's starting to feel like it's falling apart a bit, particularly with Lamar being injured and, and questionable to play this Sunday against the Packers. But all that said, they still are in first place. And you look around the division, guys, each of these teams has issues. You know, the Steelers, it wouldn't shock me if they don't win another game. The Browns have been hit with COVID, much like the Ravens were in 2020. And the Bengals have shown inconsistency. So they could still win this thing. And it seems to me that the Ravens only have to win those two remaining division games and they'll go to the playoffs. Your thoughts on the, on the division up to this point. Yeah, it's, it's been an interesting uh, uh, division. Uh, I, I thought the Bengals had a great chance to win that game against the Niners. The, they, I guess, uh, overcame some odds just to get the game to overtime, but uh, you, you, yeah, you, you know, it's a home game. I think that they lost and that's a big loss with another playoff contender. And, the thing about it is that all three or all teams in this division are, are looking at a pretty tough schedule the rest of the way. The Chiefs are going to factor in in a big way. I believe they play the Steelers uh, and I believe they play the Bengals. Uh, I, I know they've already played the Browns and the Ravens. Um, so that's huge. And, and, and overall, yeah, I mean, these, these teams are just, they, they're full of holes, all four of them. I think one of the things that's um, for the Ravens sake, I think what benefits them is having three out of four at home. And I know the Rams are a really good football team, but just having them in Baltimore, having them have to fly out across the country, you just never know how the West coast teams react. We saw what the chargers did when they came here. So that's a, that, that is an advantage that they have. If you can win three out of four, I think that pretty much guarantees the division just given. And, and to your point, Tony, you have to win those division games now because you're what one in three in the division. Right. So you have to get at least a 500. Um, the Ravens have a lot going for them, even if they lose this game. But the problem with losing this game is now all of a sudden you're faced with, you have no margin of error after that. Even if, you know, they, that we expect some of these division teams to drop their games. I still think they have to have that mindset. And I thought Harbaugh 
kind of reaffirming that by saying, no, we're trying to win this game against the Packers. Um, it, it was good just to keep the team uh, sharp and keep them thinking that they have to, they have no margin of error. The Bengals right now, uh, the remaining schedule, they're at Denver this week. They are at home against the Ravens the day after Christmas. They are at home again against the Chiefs. And then their last game on the 9th of January is at Cleveland. Right. And, and and this is the, and yeah, Dev, I was going to say, this is the team that, that, that worries me. Like they, they have a tough schedule, but I still can see the Ravens dropping one or two outside of that Ravens game, outside of that Bengals game. And, and then it becomes an issue of, you know, you can see the Bengals beating the Broncos and the Steelers. Uh, they'll have a tough time with Denver. I think that game's really huge this week for for the outcome for the for the for the whole of the AFC North. But then it comes down to the Ravens game against the Bengals, and I, I am concerned about that game. I, I still think we don't. The Ravens do not match up well with that Bengals team. That Bengals specifically that Bengals defense that is a bit of a chameleon and is a defense that they that they really struggled with. I'm really high on the de- their defensive coordinator. And I do think that, that that Bengals team has a great chance to um to win in Cincinnati against the Ravens. So you do you do that to me is the is the concern. I think they're the ones who are set up most well to win the division. And we the, the Ravens need to be carefully keeping and we as fans need to be carefully keeping an eye on those Bengals games because you sure hope the Chiefs do <laughs> unbelievably you root for the Chiefs there that week and hope that they do they do knock them off and then hope that either the Beng- the uh, the uh, Broncos or the Steelers hand them a loss and even in that scenario you know it's still it's still a must-win game to go into Cincinnati and win. Before we get to Sunday's game against the Packers I want to remind everyone that Battle Plans is brought to you in part by Royal Farms. Start your day and continue your day with the area's freshest coffee from Royal Farms. What makes Royal Farms coffee so great? They make sure to constantly brew coffee throughout the day so that yours is a fresh cup every single visit. There is no better way, there is no better coffee than a Royal Farms coffee. All right, guys, let's talk about the Packers a little bit. The Obviously, the, the person you focus on the most wears number 12 in the green and gold. His name, Aaron Rodgers. He's really, really good at picking up the blitz, guys. He's got that quick release, and he almost baits teams to blitz him because he knows where his hot reads are going to be and has shown a history of getting the ball to his hot reads. So with Wink's propensity to utilize the blitz, Dev, how might he adjust? Sorry about that. I was having some issues with my mute button, but uh, I don't think uh, they're going to be able to mute Rodgers. That was a bad transition there um but hopefully they can hold him down he's playing mvp ball i mean he's he's playing exactly the same way he played last year and you you're right uh tony in terms of his ability to uh manipulate the pre-snap phase so that he can read what the defense is doing he's a master at it and i was watching the game against the bears and chris collinsworth kind of pinpointed that he said rogers takes the clock down pretty much to zero every time you see him milking the clock because he wants to see what the defense is doing with their movement, with what they're going to show him. And depending on that, he audibles and he'll audible to the run and he'll change the formation. So he's really good. And he's got a lot of two way options because the running backs in the running game, he can, he can control 
those decisions. He's got the, the I guess, the autonomy to do that from Matt LaFleur, um, which he should because he's obviously one of the best in the game. So I think with Wink, it's going to be two things. I mean, one is being cognizant of the fact that Rodgers is looking for some sort of a tip and being tipped off. Can you get these young def- defensive players to really um, do a good job with their disguise? So that's number one. And two is, I think, by and large, you want to play a little bit more conservatively. You can, you have to, you can blitz Rodgers, but do you want to lean in and want more four and five man pressures and show him some things that you just haven't uh, utilized yet or haven't uh, shown him yet? Because Rodgers has seen it all. You know, you're dealing with a guy that has seen it all. So is there a way to confuse him, trip him up? Um, can you do some things with play action maybe when he's turning his back to extend the ball? These are things that they have to consider and, and, and really slide in some of those, uh, I guess, unfor- you know, those, those looks that he hasn't accounted for in film. For me, Tony, uh, and I agree with uh, everything Dev's just said, I think the other thing to, to mention is that, so Rogers has sort of covered up all manner of problems for the, for the Packers this year on their offensive line. And I think one of the things to do is to, to attack that offensive line, but in a slightly different way than, than bringing the usual blitzes, the usual sort of heavy dose of blitz that they do. I think I'd like to see some simulated pressures um, where the uh, point of attack is changed from what it looks like pre-snap. And I think I'd what I'd also like to see is some stunts. I think, I'd, and the reason I want to do that is what I want to challenge the offensive line specifically. So, they they are down. They have been down Elton Jenkins for a long time. Josh Myers has been out for a long time. Bakhtiari has been out. Bakhtiari might be back, but we still don't know. Billy Turner went out with an injury last week as well. So they've got their four of their top four of their starting five offensive line are not gonna, are potentially not going to play this this weekend. And that will this for the first time will include both starting tackles if Bakhtiari doesn't go. So what I'd want to do is challenge the offensive line specifically because when you're blitzing, it's up you know it's Rogers that is going to get that offensive line into the right protection calls that is going to identify the blitz and get, and get it right. What what you want to do is specifically challenge the offensive lines, but and I'd love to see a lot of stunts because let's see how those those guys that are that are definitely working together for the first time as a, as an entire group pass off stunts to each other. Let's see how they 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 are chal- the, the how the offensive line do when they are specifically challenged and they're not then they're not able to be helped by Rogers identifying a look pre snap. So. Oh. We talked about Anthony Averitt and Chris Westry when talking about the uh, the Browns game. And we mentioned Jimmy Smith. These guys are going to have their hands full with Devontae Adams, particularly in, in the red zone. Now, talk about how to defend him. Should they jam him? You know, these, these plays like uh, Jarvis Landry ran to score a touchdown on – uh, Tavon Young against the Browns. Th- those are the kinds of plays that we can expect from the Packers. So is this a, a, a matchup issue for the Ravens? Do they double him? How do you defend Devontae at the line of scrimmage and more importantly in the red zone? What, what I think you've got to do is I, I think you've got to, you have to roll coverage towards him. You, ha- you have to double team him. Basically the teams who, the teams who haven't, the teams who don't have a number one corner to be able to put on him, which is the, which is the position the Ravens are in without Marlon Humphrey or Marcus Peters, the teams who don't have that, and Avery is good, but you can't have him one on one on an island with Devontae Adams um, all game. He, you know, Adams 
is just a phenomenal wide receiver, runs every single route. I, I encourage you, if you haven't, go on to Next Gen Stats and look at their maps that they have. And when you look at Devontae Adams' maps compared to other receivers, he runs every single route in the, tr- in the tree. Uh, and he run, you can see that he's getting completions on everything. Um, so the guy's just a master. So you do have, when you don't have that guy that you can put on him, even when you do have that guy you put on him, you have to give more help. But when you don't have that guy, you have to consistently help out with, with bracket coverage, with as much as you possibly can, with cone coverage sometimes, just to get him neutralized as much as possible. The challenge with that is Rogers is so good that he can make guys like Marquez Valdez-Scantling and Alan Lazard, who are kind of mediocre at best, look great. And those guys can beat you on any given day. So it's going to be those secondary receivers. It's going to be those guys. They, they have to force Valdez-Scantling and Lazard to beat them. And then they have to hope that Rogers doesn't have as good a game as he's had, as he's had in the last three games where he's played at a ridiculously high level um, to, to sort of limit those, those two other guys because if you aren't able to limit those two other guys, then you will just end up giving up a, a 300 yard plus plus passing day, and uh, the Ravens will will be um, will be uh, sent home with a with a pretty bad pretty bad defeat. Yeah, you know, just to echo that real. Oh, sorry, Tony. Just one thing I thought I was I, I would not press Devontae Adams in this game. Um, he's just too good at getting the release, and I would just give him the respect and then try to drive on any of those routes underneath and just watch out for double moves, watch out for the, cause that's what he really, that's where as a big receiver, he's got probably the best uh, footwork in the league. And maybe Justin Jefferson's in that same ballpark, but those guys, uh, they are just incredible at, at just, just uh, showing you one thing and then going another way or, or, or being able to use that route stem So got to be careful with double moves and things of that nature as well. Against the Browns, we saw another communication breakdown in the Ravens secondary when Geno Stone and Anthony Averett weren't on the same page, paving the way to, I think, like a 35 or 39-yard completion to Donovan Peoples-Jones. The Packers, they run a lot of rubs and picks, quick hitters off the one-step drop with Aaron Rodgers getting the ball out quickly. So with that in mind, you know, this Ravens defense, how did you, how does Wink get them on the same page so that these communication issues don't uh, rear their ugly heads against the Packers? I mean, I think it's also a print man versus his own principles. And I'll defer to James on that in a second, but you know, do you against down and distance scenarios, just play zone and try to keep the errors. Like, cause I, out of these, when you're playing man, right? You're, you're, and you have to deal with uh, picks and rub routes. It's a lot more difficult and guys can run into each other. Guys can not pass off uh, their assignments. Well, you see that and the Packers take advantage of that largely, I think in early down situations where they're catching teams from uh, catching teams off guard because they might be trying to stop the run, which is another problem in and of itself. So I just wonder if, if maybe the best formula as Wink just says, all right, in these situations, we're just going to play zone and and try to keep it in front of us. But James, I don't know what your thoughts are on that. Yeah, I think the, the challenge you've got with uh, with Packers is you 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 have to disguise what you're going to do, um, and you have to you have to disguise it particularly well. Like they they will be able to break down 
a lot of the disguise that you put onto your that you put into your defense. So Matt Lafleur is 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 an outstanding offensive coordinator, but he's he's an even better game planner than he is coordinator in get in in game scenarios. And so what he will be able to do is they, they have a multitude of ways in which they can identify your coverage. One of the most dangerous ways in which they can identify their coverage that I've seen you seen them do is because they now have Aaron Jones and AJ Dillon, who I, I can't describe. Bo- both of these guys are, for me, top 15 backs in the league. They are both very good. And what, and because Dylan's bigger too, what you can what they can do is put it put it put them both in a split back formation, and then use a, a motion where the 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 one of the split backs runs behind the other back and out, and it just it changes the leverage of the defense and it forces you to to send someone and it forces you to to show your to show your coverage. So what what the Ravens need to get into in terms of their game planning for the week on defense, and this is increasingly difficult with a more changing cast of characters for the Ravens is to 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 be prepared for lots of those different eventualities for the way that the packers try and force you to to tip your hand to show your hand and be able to be in scenarios where they can show their hand but it actually isn't their hand and they're going to do something else immediately post snap so that disguise that kind of game of chess this week is going to be really key and i'm not necessarily sure that the ravens have the experience and the communication on the back end to be able to to do that consistently you know guys a lot of the focus when talking about the Packers is always on the offense but let's let's shift our our focus onto the defensive side of the football talk about that Packers defense and and what you think some of their vulnerabilities might be and what Greg Groman should dial into to try to manipulate and exploit some of their weaknesses I think that the, it's an interesting um, they're de- it's an interesting transition that they've made, which is that and James and I were talking about it offline before we jumped on and they've transitioned from a, a Mike Pettin who we know in Baltimore, right? His print, he's a Rex Ryan disciple. So the uh, his agenda has been to ratchet up the pressure, put the pressure on the corners and really go man to man heavy, uh, try to get after it with numbers. And they've switched to Joe Barry, who's the defense coordinator now. He's leaned in a little bit more on a Tony Dungy-style defense where the safeties, uh, Darnell Savage and Adrian Amos, those guys are playing uh, amongst the best in the league as a combo, uh, as a tandem. And because of the injuries that they've had, they've really been able to surprisingly play more efficient. I think they're making less mistakes. They have uh, guys playing a little bit more confidently because they're not having to necessarily take on responsibilities that they aren't as comfortable taking on in the previous style of defense. But, you know, that, that being said, Packers are still giving up some plays in the passing game. And I still think, and I think, is there a, a building off point for the Ravens? I know that, that they've, they've struggled to score points, but if you look at the passing game and some of the things that kind of got unlocked against the Browns, especially with we talked about Bateman at the top, and his ability to be more involved, I think that's there. I think there's some possibilities to go down the field or challenge this pass defense. Um, James, are you seeing that, or what are you seeing as well, uh, you know, in terms of their, like, if you can protect, if you can protect up front, which is the question, the big question that we always have with the Ravens week in and week out, because this pass rush is pretty good. I think there's, there's opportunities down the field. That's the thing. I, I, I completely agree, Devin. I think that the way that, that this team, that the Ravens matches up 
actually really well with the with the Packers is between the numbers. So this defense is pretty weak up the middle against the pass. That's where you would want to attack from what I've seen on film. You would want to get those balls across the middle, but those are predicated on being able to to pick up uh, pick up their uh, their pressure, pick up their their defensive line who have been playing pretty well. Um, the, the pressure rate is reasonably middle of the road, but considering they're a very low blitz team now, as you mentioned, that that's pretty good. And so what what I'm looking for really is for the Ravens to to continue with the way that they they attack defenses well, um, which is which is across the middle. There have been there have been a number of teams that have started to take away the middle, force the Ravens to throw outside the numbers. But I think not only was Lamar starting to show that he can do that now, uh, notwithstanding his most recent struggles, Tyler Huntley has shown that he can also do that and throw outside the numbers. So I think what you would expect to hopefully see is that there's not like an overcompensation from the from the Packers to defend the middle of the field, and that the middle of the field will be pretty open to the Ravens. And so what I want to see is. Um, is some runs from is some um, routes from Andrews and Bateman across the middle, and um, a, you know a peppering of targets to those guys. The one thing I don't want to see is I don't want to see um, you know Marquis Hollywood Brown running digs all day long across the middle. Um, you know, it's just it's not exactly what he you know he can do that, but it's not what he's good at. That we've got some guys now like Bateman who are able to find the soft spot in their zone coverage. Uh, across the middle and take advantage. So let's, uh, that's what I would be looking for this week. You know, guys, I was asking message board members for some criticisms, constructive criticisms of our podcast. And one of the things that they suggested of me was to make sure that listeners knew who I was talking to or who they were listening to. And so for all you out there that are listening right now, I'm Tony Lombardi. I'm the guy that gets to learn something from these guys every week just by asking questions. The guy with the funny accent, that's James Ogden. He's the author of Battle Plans, which you can get on Russell Street Report every week. It's, it's an encyclopedia on that particular game, and I encourage everybody to read that and study up on it because it'll make you smarter with your friends when you're watching the games. And the other guy is Dev Panchwal. Dev, how long have we been together? Uh, we have been together for 18 years, I think. 18 That's years. a long time. I've watched you grow long up, time. son. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we, 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 we are very tight. And, and uh, it's been so uh, it's been such a pleasure uh, to work with you. And I just appreciate everything you've done for me. And now we got James on board to make things even more fun. Uh, so <laughs> it's, it's uh, we, we have a ball on here. I think we can talk like we're at we're, we're in person. Uh, like at a pub or or wherever. Yeah, that's what it's about, you know, just to make give you that that kind of easy feeling. If somebody's out there just driving around, listening, or they're at the gym, thank you for doing so. So let's let's wrap this up, guys. I, I did want to ask you if either of you thought that Lamar Jackson was going to be a go on Sunday. Uh, I'll start, James. Um, <laughs> I'm going to say no. Uh, if I was to lean in on this. I don't think he'll have, I don't think he'll be ready enough physically. Uh, I made a point um, and I, I made this point earlier in the week on Twitter uh, through my account that I think it's going to be awfully difficult to convince him not to play in this game because he looks up to Aaron Rodgers. He's made that uh, known publicly. Uh, whenever you have a chance to play against one of your idols and or, and or a guy you've obviously uh, look up to, 
it's it's tough. It's not it's tough as a competitor. And I know Lamar is such a competitive guy, but I, I think when push comes to shove, I don't think that ankle is going to be ready just yet. And they have to look out for the stretch run. I know Harbaugh said he'll. Hey, look, I I, I want to this game, and Lamar will play. It's not like they'll take the the restrictions off, but I tend to think he's playing a little bit of possum, and I think they'll go with Huntley, and I think Huntley is capable of of doing a good job. I think that's the that's the key point, Dev, isn't it? That you you've got to if there was a backup that wasn't performing, there is obviously a drop off from Lamar Jackson to Tyler Huntley, but if you've got a backup that isn't playing particularly well or or has come in in relief and not not done the job you you expected of him then maybe it's a different decision maybe a hobbled lamar is worth putting out there and uh you, you put him out there and even though he can't he's not himself and he can't get around as much that he's worth putting out there above the backup we saw them do it with flacco over many years in, in baltimore where the backup just wasn't really up to scratch and they would still put him in even though his mobility his already limited mobility was compromised because of some kind of some kind of injury i, I think tyler huntley has proven in the game against the bears and the game against the browns that they that that he can get the job done and so i i don't think that he's bad enough or that he's mediocre enough basically to to consider risking Lamar when it's a, when it's a low ankle sprain when i played i had particular problems with my ankles my ankle ligaments are not taut anymore they've been i've sprained my ankle so many times over the years that, that my my ligaments are a joke um, and so you just don't there's just no point i don't think in in trying to to push lamar when you know you're going to have to limit his play and when Huntley has played as well as he has. I want you guys to fill in the blank here. If the Ravens win on Sunday, it's because they blank. And you can't say score more points than the Packers. You want me to go first, James, or you want to take crack at it? You go first. (laughs) If the Ravens win, they will have frustrated Aaron Rodgers enough to win this game. And I, I will emphasize or put a second sentence to that, which is that this defense doesn't make any plays. And it's been a problem all year. You can cite Marcus Peters all day long, but they got to step up, whatever, whatever that is. Even if that's a couple sacks in key, key situations, knocking the Packers out of scoring range, holding them in the red zone, make some plays, frustrate Rodgers enough. I think that's doable, um, but it's going to be a big challenge. Uh, I'm going to sort of steal a little bit of, of your point, one bit of your point, Devin, expand on it a little bit, which I think is if the Ra- if the Ravens w- win, they will have um, effectively deployed a bend, don't break defense this week. And I, th- I think that's the, the thing you need to look out for this week, that the, the Packers actually haven't been so great in the red zone this season. They were phenomenal last season. They're not as good this year. And I think that is the way to beating this team. So basically the Ravens win if they hold the the Packers to more field goals in the red zones when they get in the red zone than, than touchdowns. I think that's something you need to look out for this week. The Ravens using the back line and the sidelines in that, that condensed area to... Um, to support them in the way that they defend Aaron Rodgers. I was going to say if the Ravens win on Sunday, it's because they're, they have superior special teams play. And I think that they could really help shift field position in this game, because as we saw with the Packers and the bears, 
the Packers have pretty shoddy special teams. So if the Ravens can really take advantage of field position and shorten the field for Tyler Huntley, I think that'll be a big contributor and go a long way if they are to pull off the, the upset win on Sunday against the Packers. Tony, you make a great point, and it's actually—I've actually—it's not a key to the game, but it is in my battle plans because um, Shoddy doesn't quite do it justice. If you—if you are a subscriber to Football Outsiders like I am, their DVOA, the Packers are thirty-second. They are dead last in special teams, and they are particularly bad on punt return, where which is the Ravens' strongest unit. So it is a big mismatch on special teams this week. Okay, guys. Well, that's our battle plans for this week. And please be sure to check out James' battle plans on Russell Street Report and subscribe to Battle Plans wherever you get your podcast. Thanks again for listening, and we'll talk again next week.